morning. I'm John Schmidt, senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. I want to welcome all the people worshiping with us. Pike Road, Cloverdale, Wetumpka, elsewhere on the web. Uh, we're starting a new series on parables, the hidden truths of God. If you need a pen to fill in the blanks, just raise your hand. One of the ushers will be glad to bring a pen to you. But uh, point A on the outline that's inside your bulletin is simply this, that Jesus often taught using parables. Well, what's a parable? Parable is a short story that explains spiritual truth by using everyday objects and relationships. The word parable literally means to throw alongside. If I throw this down alongside something, then I can see what this looks like. Oh, okay. If I use something ordinary, I can explain something, a heavenly truth I may never have understood before. Um, this helped me one time. I was looking for some keys. A friend of mine told me, he goes, well, take one of your other keys and throw it. If I was looking for a lost in the grass. He said, throw another key down there, and all of a sudden your eyes will be able to discern what a key looks like. Well, I did that, and I found the other one. It was like, oh. Some of you are going to go home and try that this afternoon. I'm glad. That's a, that's a helpful tip. But the truth is, if we can see what it looks like, we go, oh, okay, I can recognize this now, too. Well, when we, that title isn't a trick. I mean, we love for, to hear about things, ooh, the hidden truths of God. Well, Jesus came to reveal a lot of things that were hidden until he came. Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these. Matthew commented on why Jesus told him, talked in parables all the time, speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. Things we'd never understood about God until Jesus showed up. Things we'd gotten dead wrong. And today, in the parables that we're talking about today, we're going to talk about how Jesus views lost people. People who've messed up their lives. They have made one bad decision after another. They are as far away from God as they could be. They're as lost as an Easter egg. I mean, they're gone. Well, how does God feel towards such people? Today, Jesus is going to tell us some stories to illustrate exactly how God feels. And if you and I are willing to listen, this truth can be revealed to us. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I want to thank you that Jesus taught in parables so he could reveal your heart. And Father, many times until we hear these stories, we don't know how you feel about things. We don't understand you. And Father, we're so wrapped up in our own lives and our own everyday concerns, and we know how hard it is to live in this world. That sometimes, Father, we just we forget all about people who are just beaten up, trampled down, far away from you. But the good news is you never do. And God, I pray that you will speak and move me out of the way today, and you remind us how much you love us, how much you care for lost people. And that you'd give us that same kind of compassion and that same desire. I pray these things in the wonderful name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Point B, one day Jesus told three parables to explain how God feels about lost people. So you come this week, you get a three for one. I mean, bonus Sunday. Here we go. Bonus Sunday. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now you have to understand that the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, they were people who took the Old Testament, that's all they had at the time, very seriously. They memorized it. They discussed it and discussed it and debated it. They wanted to make sure they didn't break any of the Ten Commandments. And so they built scaffolds of other commandments, hundreds of them, more than 600 in total, to make sure they never got anywhere close to breaking the original 10. 
I mean, an example is you weren't supposed to commit adultery. Well, they didn't even want to look lustfully at a woman. And to take that to the extreme, there was a group among these Pharisees known as the bleeding Pharisees. And the reason they were called the bleeding Pharisees, because every time they saw a beautiful woman, they would close their eyes so they wouldn't be tempted to lust. Even if that meant they were going to fall down a flight of stairs. Even if that meant they were crossing a street and they were about to be run over by an ox cart. Whatever was going on. And they wore the scars like a badge of honor. Yeah, you see this? That's that blonde at 5th and Main. She was something. I mean, they really did. This is how they would demonstrate their devotion to God because they were keeping the rules. And when they came across other people who were beat up in life and downtrodden, they came across somebody who had resorted to prostitution, no matter what her life circumstance, how she got there, they didn't care. She was worthless. Throw her away. When they came across a tax collector, somebody who'd sold out to the Roman government for money, ah, they, that guy was beneath contempt. They hated him, and they were sure God did too. And then along comes Jesus, and he walks in, and he's eating with these people. And he's talking to these people, and he's laying hands on them and healing the sick and praying for them, and some of them are rotten, scoundrel people. And they can't believe it. So what's the deal? And so Jesus took, uh, took the opportunity as a teaching opportunity to reveal God's heart. And he told them three stories. Here's story number one. And it's the parable of the lost sheep. Now, again, understand this. As we go into this story, this was an agricultural economy at the time. There were lots of shepherds that lived in and around Jerusalem, the surrounding area. There were shepherds grazing sheep on the hillside when Jesus would teach. We don't see that much today. Many of us have never seen a shepherd grazing sheep on a hillside anywhere in first person. We might have seen pictures of it. But they had, and they knew how much a good shepherd cared for his flock. And so Jesus told this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the, other, the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he'll call together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. Well, in the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And he told them, look, if you, have, if you lose a sheep, no good shepherd is going to sit there and say, well, I got 99 of them that came back with me. 1% loss, that's acceptable. I mean, nobody would have said that was a good idea. Put the 99 in a pen, you secure them, and you go out and find that lost one. And when you do, you bring that sheep home on your shoulders and you call your friends together. I found it. Sheep had wandered off. He was certain to die. And the people would have said, well, yeah, of course. They said, well, that's the way God looks at lost sinners. People who've wandered off. People who got in the wrong circle of friends. Went off to college and started drinking too much. And after they got out, they continued a party lifestyle. And now they're kind of all bound up in sin. How does God view such people? He hates them. They're worthless. Should have known better. How stupid. And if you think that's the way God thinks about people in that circumstance, you're dead wrong. You're dead wrong. And Jesus came to reveal truths that had been hidden from the beginning of the world. The religious leaders, the people who knew all these commandments, they missed it. And that's the note in your outline. God loves people who have wandered away. God loves people who have wandered away. Would you say that with me, please? 
God loves people who have wandered away. He does. Luke 19.10, Jesus himself speaking, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. God seeks out sinners. Jesus came on a seek and save mission, not a seek and destroy mission. He came to seek and save lost people. Why do I tell you this today? If you're here today and you have wandered far from God and you're wondering if God loves you, can I tell you that's precisely why Jesus came? And he wants you to come home. He's looking for you. C.S. Lewis says that when uh, we wander away like this, we often say, oh, I found Jesus. And he said for us to say we found Jesus is like a mouse turning around saying, hey, look, I found a cat. (laughs) Okay, the cat's been hunting you a long time. Some of you know this too. Some of you have told me, you've said, my grandmother was praying every day for me for 10 years before I finally came to Christ. She'd pray that God had sicked the hounds of heaven on me and he was chasing me. I know God's been chasing me. And if you can relate to that, don't you know there are so many other people around that God is chasing after them? His heart is to bring them home. Also, if you have a family member who's wandered away from the Lord, don't you give up on them. We are so quick to give up on people who've wandered away. The good news is the Lord doesn't because he came to seek and save lost people. Isaiah 53, 6, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. That's Jesus who came to seek and save lost people. If this is good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. One of the reasons that we don't care enough about lost people in our world, lost people in our family, lost people in our neighborhoods or our places of employment is we don't understand God's heart for them. And neither did the religious leaders of his day. And so Jesus said, maybe a story will make sense to you. If I throw this down, the story about the shepherd, they knew a good shepherd. They go, well, of course he'll go look after that sheep. Maybe if you understand that, then you'll understand God's love. But apparently, even as he was talking this, it still wasn't clicking all the way through. So he told another story. And that's the parable of the lost coin. This is Luke 15, straight through. Story, three of them in a row. Bang, bang, bang. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Well, why would she have ten silver coins? That doesn't mean much to us. Well, the women in that day, when they got married, they would have a bridal gift, a dowry. Of ten silver coins, and they would tie them, they would bind them together in a headdress that they would tie around their head, around their forehead, and they would wear this at their wedding ceremony. And it was a wonderful gift by their friends and family, and it could be used if the family ever got into some financial trouble. The silver coins were worth about a day's wages. It wasn't a fortune, but it had great sentimental value, and they would carry this bridal gift, this headdress these 10 coins, and they would hang on to that forever. If they could, it had great significance to them. You could think of it like uh, the stone in a woman's engagement ring, in her wedding ring. If she lost the stone from her ring, well, what would she do? Well, this is what Jesus says. Suppose a a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully till she finds it? And when she finds it, she'll call her friends and her neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. I've had friends call me before. 
hey, my wife lost the stone in her ring. She lost one of the diamonds in her ring. Would you pray for her? And we pray. People tell me, they go, she's got her whole house torn apart. The sink in the kitchen is torn apart. She might have been washing dishes. She's got all the pipes laid out. They've spread everything out. They're going over the house with a flashlight and magnifying glass. And if they find the stone, man, they'll put that on Facebook. They'll call everybody they know and say, hey, rejoice with me. We found the missing stone. We found the silver coin. Now, this is the way parables work. If you understand how they were seeking after that diamond and that was precious to them, understand how precious it is when a sinner comes home. How, understand how precious sinners are to God in the first place. And Jesus says, if you understand that, how much that woman would be seeking after that silver coin, then maybe you'll get a glimpse of how much God loves lost sinners, people who fall through the cracks. And that's the note at the top of the inside page. God loves people who've fallen through the cracks. Maybe they had a hard life. Parents got divorced when they were a kid, never got a break, never got a scholarship, never had anybody give them a helping hand. Somewhere along the line, they just got lost, trampled. How does God feel about such people? Well, the Pharisees would have said, well, obviously God doesn't care about them, so we shouldn't care about them either. And Jesus says, oh, you're wrong. You've got to think of a woman where a diamond fell through the cracks or a coin fell through the cracks. Mm, she's tearing the whole house apart looking for it. You want to know how God feels about sinners who fall through the cracks? He's never forgetting about them. You may never have read this. Apparently the Pharisees hadn't either. This is Isaiah 49. This would have been available to them. The Lord has deserted us, the people of Israel said. The Lord has forgotten us. Never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child she's born? But even if that were possible, the Lord says, I would not forget you. The Lord knows how many hairs are on our heads. He does. He knew every day in our lives before a single one had passed, and he has not forgotten us. And it's also important to notice in both of these parables, God rejoices when we repent. This was hidden from the Pharisees. It's been hidden. It's still a well-kept secret in our day. You know what God wants? God is waiting for you to mess up. And he's going to get even with you. He's waiting to get even with you. That's what God wants. He wants to punish people. He is angry that you've messed up his world. And he wants to send you straight to hell on an express elevator. And that's the God of heaven. And many people believe this. Still to this day. And the Pharisees, they acted that way. And Jesus says that's wrong. Here's Ezekiel Ezekiel 33, and the Pharisees should have known this too. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. You know what God's desire is for people who've wandered away? That they be found and come home. He said in heaven there's a big party. He and the angels are rejoicing. God is seeking after them the way a woman would seek after a bridal coin. She's turning the couch over. She's on hands and knees. She's lighting a lamp going, where is it? And Jesus says, this is the way your heavenly father thinks about you. Can I remind us again and make an appeal again? If you and I have a friend who's lost, who's just fallen through the cracks or has wandered away, while there's still life, there's still hope, don't quit praying. Some of you today, you are worried sick about a child or a nephew. You're worried sick about a parent or a friend who's just wandered off. 
when somebody's just fallen through the cracks and they've given up on God, I want you to know that God has not given up on them. And if you're a person who feels like you've fallen through the cracks, then hear this as clearly as you can from the mouth of Jesus himself. Even if a mother could forget her nursing child, I would never forget you. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. This is why we sing praises to the God of heaven, because he loves us and he pursues us relentlessly. Parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, parable of the lost son. Point three. To illustrate the point even further, Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. They were both going to have an inheritance according to Old Testament law that Moses had spelled out for them. The older son would get a double portion, so he would get two-thirds of the estate. The younger son would get one-third because the man had two sons. And um, the younger son said, I want that third of the estate right now. So they would go sell a third of the property, a third of the cattle, a third of whatever it was, And then he cashed it out. Now, to the people who are listening to this, this was something that was never done. I mean, you waited until after the father had passed. I mean, it was the height of disrespect. It's basically telling the old man, I'm tired of living under your roof. I don't want anything to do with you. I'm making my own way. I'm cashing out a third of the estate, and I'm out of here. And people would have gasped when they heard this story a couple of times. First of all, the audacity of this and how rude this was. I want my share of your estate now, before you die. So his father agreed to divide the wealth between his two sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. If you circle the word wasted, that's what the word prodigal means. If you've ever heard of the prodigal son, somebody who is reckless and wasteful. I'm a wasteful son, squandering a prodigal son. So he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, well, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. And so he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Now this would have been another gasp from the crowd. Jesus was talking to these Pharisees, these religious zealots who had closed their eyes to not look at a beautiful woman. Well, Pigs aren't on the kosher list, okay? And so they would have never gone anywhere near a pig or touched a pig. And to think of somebody who wanted to eat the slop that was fed to a pig, well, that made you beneath contempt. I mean, this would have been unbelievable how far this guy had fallen. This is the bottom side of the bottom side of the barrel. I mean, you're at rock bottom. I mean, this is as horrible as it can possibly get. It's like, oh my gosh. When he finally came to his senses, the son said to himself, at home, even the hired hands have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'm going to go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And he rehearsed it. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, here's the rehearsed speech, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And before he could get out the part about being a a hired servant, his father cut him off. And he said, 
Uh, he said this, his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. There's a note there for you. God loves lost people who have selfishly rebelled. Even people who have wasted and squandered what they had. I mean, in the first scenario, you had a lost sheep that wandered off and just got confused off in the high weeds and even in a dangerous situation. Second was a coin that just kind of tumbled through the cracks through the hard things in their life. This one, no, this son had everything going for him. He chose to walk away. What would God do? Yeah, John Wolves, okay, somebody has hard knocks in his life. I understand that. Yeah, somebody wanders off. But God certainly doesn't love people who shake their fists at him and say, I don't care what your commands are. I'm going my own way. And Jesus says, yeah, I mean, God loves even them. So if you understand God's heart, to throw it down like a parable, if you understand a father's heart toward his lost son, then you'll understand God's heart toward people who are wicked and rebel. He wants them to return too. In fact, even if they return, he'll throw a big party and welcome them home. Because his desire is to have children. He wants us to view him as our heavenly father. When we were utterly helpless, Paul tried to explain this in Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. Christ came at just the right time, and he died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we're still sinners. I mean, Jesus came to die on the cross while we were still sinners. If that's good news to you, would you say amen? Well, that should be good news to people who are far away from God. And it is, if we're willing to tell them. I mean, God wants us to understand his heart. And Jesus said, the reason you don't understand God, the reason you don't worship God correctly, the reason you treat people so terribly is you don't understand what God's like. Let me reveal to you a truth that's been hidden from the foundation of the world. Let me make it as plain as I can. God looks at lost people like sheep that have wandered away. And coins that have fallen through the cracks. And because the sheep and the coin, the sheep doesn't know its way home and the coins fall into the cracks, he goes out and seeks them. And when somebody shakes their fist in rebellion, he loves them the way a, a loving father does. He's given us a free will. And that son had a free will and the father let him go, but that didn't mean the father gave up on him. In fact, because he saw him coming from a long way off, you get the idea the father every day would go stand at the gate and look anxiously praying for his son to return home. And on the day when he came, the father came, the father saw him and the father ran out to him. I mean, don't miss this. And there were plenty of people in the crowd that day who'd had sons that had left and they longed for them to come home and that, they understood God's heart then. God wants us to have his heart for lost people. Now it's important here to understand also the older brother didn't rejoice when his selfish brother repented and came home. There's more to the story. Remember, there were two sons. The older brother was very angry and wouldn't go in. There's a party going on and he's mad. So his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you. 
I never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And all that time, you never gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed with me. Everything I have is yours. Nothing's changed on that. But we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he's found. And the life application for us is God wants us to love lost people as much as he does. You know, in this story, there's three characters. And I can look back in my own life and at different times I could identify with all three. I remember when I first came to Christ, I was so overcome with how he had forgiven me of my sins when I repented and he restored me no matter who I was, no matter what I had done. And I was just grateful he welcomed me home. Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? Because I was that son. And then after I'd been a Christian for a few years and gotten a few disciplines down in my life, then it wasn't that hard for me to turn to other people who were kind of fouling up and they'd wandered away and they weren't doing what they were supposed to do and they weren't having their quiet times and they weren't carrying their Bible with them. And if they were, I didn't see very much marked in it. <laughs> Just saying. If you were serious. And all of a sudden I'm looking down my nose and who let them in here? And now all of a sudden I'm becoming a lot like the older brother. And when I read the story, I say, well, yeah. Well, why is he letting him in? Forgetting all the while that I was completely like the younger son just a few years ago. And now I'm a dad. And I have three sons. And I love my sons. My oldest one's married and lives in Nashville. And my second son lives in Richmond. And man, I long for them to call. I love it when they call. I love it when they come home. My youngest son is in college at Auburn, and I love to just get a chance to talk to him. And now the heart of a father, if one of my sons was to leave and say he didn't want to talk to me anymore, and then one day he came home and said, Dad, I'm sorry. I'd turn him away. I tell him I don't care. You messed up too much, son. I'm done with you. Never. And Jesus said, well, if you understand that, then you understand how God longs for lost sinners to repent and he's always watching and waiting. And if we take a step toward him, he will run to meet us. Don't believe me? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That life application where I said God wants us to love lost people as much as he does. Put your name underneath that line there. God wants John to love lost people as much as he does. You know he gave his only son to die on the cross for the people who are nailing him there. He loves lost people. And he wants us to love lost people too. Paul said he demonstrates it. While we were still sinners, he died for us. I mean, if you knew somebody particularly good, you and I might be willing to die for that person. But who's going to die for a sinner who rejects what's right and goes off on their own? Nobody. Jesus did. 
And Paul went on in 2 Corinthians 5, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors and God is making his, and God is making his appeal through us. So now we get to tell people, we get to tell that nephew, we get to tell that neighbor, we get to tell somebody we work with who thinks that God hates them, who thinks that God can never forgive them, who thinks if they walk in a church that light, light, the lightning's going to strike them, we get to tell them, no, you're completely wrong. No, you've missed it completely. Let me tell you a story, and maybe you'll understand how great God's love is. And you can read this story to him. God loves me like a father loves his rebellious son? Yes! And he's waiting for you to come home. God loves me like a woman would love a, a stone lost from her, from her engagement ring and she'd turn the whole house upside down to find it. Yes, that's how much God's seeking after you. God will rejoice when I come home just like a shepherd who found a lost sheep and he called all the other shepherds together. You're never going to fa- believe where I found him. Look, I found him. And the angels are dancing. Better than that. So what can we do? Well, there's four things we can do. I want to give us four life applications. Here they are. We can become aware. Would you just say that much with me, please? We can become aware. And the blank there is who? A name. What if you and I, each one of us this week said, God, is there someone that I know who's fallen through the cracks? Is there someone in my family, in my neighborhood who's wandered away? Is there someone that I know who has rebelled against God? And if none of us know anybody in any three of those categories, I find that hard to believe. Then we need to think about it and pray about it. Where are they spiritually and what's their story? And what if we prayed for them and started praying for them today, every day? And we said, and that's the next point, we can commit to prayer. We can become aware, who are they, and then we commit to pray for them. You know what else we can pray for? You can circle the first thing there, a godly attitude. Because if I'm not careful, I can be just like the older brother, and so can you. Well, they're just getting what's coming to them. They made their bed, let them lie in it. Because that's the way God feels about them. No, it's not. Did God allow the younger brother to suffer the consequences of his choices? Yeah, he had a free will. He had the right to exercise it. But it was never the father's desire. It was always the father's desire he'd come home. We must become aware. We must commit to prayer. Pray for godly attitude. and pray for opportunities to talk to this person. Boldness when we talk to them and go, Hey, can I buy you lunch? I'd like to see how you're doing. Me? You want to talk to me? Yes, you. Why? I've been praying for you. Really? And we must show we care. Can we say that one together? We must show we care. Well, how would we do that? Well, the first thing to do is identify their needs. What are their needs? I mean, if they've fallen through the cracks, they may just need to know that somebody actually cares for them. They they may need a hug. They may need a friend. What resources can I give? I don't know. Depends on the circumstance. If, they've, if they're in rebellion, they may need somebody who loves them enough to tell them the truth. And finally, we must be ready to share our time, unconditional friendship, personal testimony, plan of salvation, all of that's in there. But it starts with understanding who they are and what their needs are and just allowing God to take it step by step. We can all do these four things. 
We can't. Well, John, what would that look like? Well, it would look a lot like what happened in the life of a young woman named Brandy Harris. She's a part of Centerpoint. And some people reached out to her. Uh, Paul and Pat Johnson are uh, leading a, a uh, they've led a connect group and they're in developing a number of connect groups out in an area close by here in Slap Out, Alabama. For those of you who are watching on the internet, Slap Out is a real place. Okay, I just want you to know. Uh, it's not made up. Uh, but out in Slap Out, there's a connection, a collection of small groups. And one of the things we always want to do here at this church is challenge our connect groups, not only to meet together and encourage each other, but to reach out and serve their community. And Paul and Pat had an opportunity because one of the people in one of their connect groups over there in Slap Out identified a need that Brandy, this young woman, had in her house. There was a chunk of flooring that was just uh, terrible, and she needed some help and let them know about this through Facebook. And I want you to watch the video we're going to play where she describes what happened next and how God used that to change her life. I was an atheist for 10 years, and uh, I had an unfortunate event happen in my life, and I had to move out of my parents' house and into my own trailer, which wasn't finished. So, and then I began posting on Facebook and, you know, posting here and there and trying to figure out, you know, if somebody could help me. I got a call from uh, one of the folks in our connect group about uh, a young lady on Facebook uh, that uh, had needed some help with uh, putting um, flooring down in her trailer. And they said, can, can you help with that this afternoon? And I went, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, about f- uh, five or six of us went over there and uh, went to the trailer and put some, put some, you know, three of the guys were putting uh, some of the flooring down and some of the girls were just uh, talking to Brandy. The whole connect group comes in gets right to work. Everything was finished within one day. And that, that just... Some people that just didn't even know me, didn't know of me, didn't know anything I've done, come in to help me. And then they asked to pray for me when they left. That just, it just struck me. And then they, they invited me to their connect group the next day. And I was like, well, what time's church? So... I ended up meeting them, and they took me to church. And that that whole day, the church, the connect group, I didn't have one suicidal thought. And for six months, I had a suicidal thought every day. Brandy started coming to our um, connect group, and uh, she was a regular. And one morning, she actually texted and said, um, I really like this, and I want to become a part of this. I want to know what I need to do to become a Christian. And so I just told her that uh, that uh, we'd be glad to talk with her, be glad to uh, open the Bible with her. And uh, then Paul uh, got involved with the conversation. He started explaining to me that, you know, all you have to do is accept him into your heart and all this kind of stuff. And then, then I started asking about how, would I, how do I become baptized? We had a gathering at the farm uh, not too long after that, and uh, we found a big... Uh, horse tra- a horse trough filled it with warm water and uh, thing to yeah and uh, and uh, we're able to uh, to baptize her uh, at, at the farm it was amazing it sounds weird but 
Alex and Katie, they're, they're a couple in the connect group. And Katie told me that she had been praying for someone to come into her life so she can help. And it was just like chills. It was like it was meant to be there. It just makes your heart go, you know, Lord, this is what we're all about, bringing others to you.